Coming to faith isn't easy. I struggled as a young man with my faith. I grew up in the church. I went to church with my family every Sunday when I was a child. I believed in Jesus. We had a revival at Walnut Hill Methodist Church when I was a little child. And I remember when they invited the people to come down and to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, I turned to my mother, tapped myself on the chest and said, Mommy, I want Jesus in my life too. And right then and there, my mother took me by the hand and took me down to the altar rail and we knelt there and I asked Jesus into my life. As a five, six-year-old little boy, I asked Jesus into my life. It was a life-transforming experience for me. But it didn't mean that everything that followed was easy and wonderful. Mom tells me that when I was a kid, I would go outside and I would swing on the swing set. And I would sing songs of praise that I had learned in Bible school, that I had learned in Sunday school, that I had learned in kindergarten. I'd sing songs of praise to Jesus and that I was happy and that you knew I was happy when I was singing. But as I grew up, as I got older, as I moved on into my youth and young adulthood, faith became more difficult. I struggled with my faith as I grew up. I struggled with believing not only in Jesus, but believing even in God. I studied science in junior and senior high school, and I had a difficult time reconciling belief in God on the one hand with belief in science on the other. I wanted to see it to believe it. I wanted to be able to at least understand in order to accept, well, everything, actually. I had to ask questions and get answers or find answers for me to be able to believe. In some ways, I was a lot like Thomas, something of a negative personality, always expecting the worst and not believing until he saw it. We get glimpses of how Thomas was earlier on in Jesus' ministry when they received word that Jesus' friend Lazarus had died. The trip to Bethany would have been a dangerous one. For the last time Jesus had been in that region, the religious authorities had tried to have him murdered. If Jesus were to go back there now, the chances were great that they would try to kill him. When Jesus said that he was going to go to Bethany, and that Lazarus had died so that they might believe, Thomas, in what reads as a very sarcastic statement, says back in chapter 11, uh, verse 16 of John's Gospel, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> that was Thomas, always expecting the worst, doubting until he sees it, negative and disbelieving. And I was that way in many respects. There are elements of that character that are still part of me today. If you tell me something bad is going to happen, I'm sometimes a bit dramatic and will expect the most extreme thing to happen with negative expectations along the way. I will struggle to keep such thoughts to myself, but I'm not always successful. 
Pessimism is the key here. My dad was a pessimist. When asked why it was better to be a pessimist than an optimist, my dad said, an optimist may have a happier outlook on life, but a pessimist is less often disappointed. And when they are, it's a good thing. (laughs) That's a pessimist talking. And I get it. That's Thomas, too. He wasn't present on Easter morning. He wasn't present on Easter evening when Jesus came and met the disciples in the upper room. He came into that locked room. They were in there. They were afraid. They were sheltering in place. They were hiding out. They were scared. They'd heard about the empty tomb. They'd heard from Mary Magdalene about Jesus appearing to her in the garden, and still they were afraid. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus proved to them that it was he, that he was really there, that he wasn't some kind of a ghost or a hallucination, that he wasn't a figment of their imaginations. And it says they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand at his side, I will not believe. We don't know where Thomas was. The account in John's gospel simply says that he wasn't there. He wasn't present with them. He didn't have that initial experience of Jesus appearing to the disciples in the upper room. He didn't have that wonderful opportunity to rejoice. All he had heard was that the tomb was empty, that Mary Magdalene had seen him, and that the disciples had seen them, and he said, I won't believe it until I see the nail holes and I put my finger in those holes. I got to see and touch, he said. I've got to experience this unbelievable thing in order to believe. Now, before we get too hard on Thomas, we've got to admit to ourselves that most of us would have reacted the same. I got to say that if a friend of mine had died and then another friend came and told me, he's alive, he's walking around and breathing and talking to us and eating with us and laughing with us, I'd say, I don't believe you. I think you're crazy. Here's a white backwards jacket. And let's take you off to the nut house. I wouldn't believe him. I'd have to experience myself the resurrection. I'd have to experience myself this experience, this news, this wonderful thing of my risen Lord and friend. A week later, His disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, he turns immediately to Thomas. He knows Thomas's problem. He's aware of Thomas's situation. He's known Thomas for a long time. He knows Thomas is a doubter. He knows Thomas is a pessimist. He knows Thomas isn't going to believe until he actually experiences it. So he turns to Thomas 
and says, put your fingers here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. I love how Jesus directly addresses Thomas's need. Thomas's need, true need, for evidence to believe. I love the phrasing here. Do not doubt, but believe. And in the Greek language of the New Testament, the word for believe here is the same word for faith, pistis, in the adjectival form, pistis. The word we translate doubt is apistis. In Greek, to negate something, you put the word, put the vowel alpha or a in front of it. You attach the, the, the vowel a, a, to the front of the word, and it reverses the meaning of the word. It reverses the impact of the word. It's like in English, we put dis in front of something, and it changes the meaning. Apistis, pistis. Disbelief, disfaith, and faith. Do not be faithless, but faithful. Don't disbelieve, but believe. There is no neutral setting here, friends. It's not that he was waiting to get that evidence. He disbelieved until he believed. He had disfaith until he had faith. Jesus met Thomas's test. Thomas said, I won't believe it until I put my finger, see it and put my fingers in the holes. And Jesus offered himself to Thomas. Here, see and put your finger. And what did Thomas do? Some of the artwork shows Thomas actually reaching out to touch. But the scripture says, doesn't tell us that he did that. The scripture simply says, he proclaims my Lord and my God. And I like to think he went to his knees. My Lord and my God. When presented with the physical evidence of the resurrection, when presented with the very presence, the very real presence of Jesus, Thomas's doubt could live no more. Thomas's doubt was blown away. Thomas's disfaith was wiped out and replaced with faith. With, by encountering Jesus, by experiencing the presence of Christ right there, it was enough. It was enough. My Lord and my God, he proclaimed. That's a powerful affirmation. And that one we are, and one we are called to make. My Lord and my God. Have you believed? Jesus asked him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, none of us have physically seen Jesus. But we have nevertheless experienced Jesus' real presence in so many ways. In the scriptures that we read, 
and the hymns that we sing and the prayers that we pray in the face of a person to whom we give a cup of water in the laugh of a child that we love or don't even know in the fellowship that we have with our fellow believers in the love that we share and experience with our sisters and brothers our family and friends in Christ in the lives that we see transformed, changed from disbelief to belief, from sin to righteousness, in our own lives that we know have been changed by the indwelling presence of Jesus. We have experienced Jesus. And we know that Jesus is risen. We have both the intellectual content of it and we have the experiential content of faith. Methodists like to talk about our faith as being articulated with a neat little box called the quadrilateral. Our theological task as Christians is built with four sides. Scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. Scripture, the affirmation of the Hebrew people in the Old Testament and the New Testament church in the New Testament. The tradition of the church down through the centuries, because why reinvent the wheel? Christians have been interpreting scripture and interpreting their lives relative to God's presence in their life for centuries. So we have the tradition of the church to turn to. We have our own experience as believers of the truth of this message. And we have reason, our rational faculties, our ability to think and articulate what we believe. Often, usually, we have mm, a few sides, a couple of sides, two sides of the quadrilateral that are strong. We got scripture and tradition for something we believe. Or we've got scripture and experience for something we believe. Or tradition and experience for something we believe. Or experience and reason or scriptures and reason, or tradition and reason. And sometimes we have three of the sides of the quadrilateral, scripture, tradition, experience, but reason will be lacking. That happens a lot. It happens in the sacrament of Holy Communion. When we have scripture to affirm Christ's presence there at the table, we have tradition of the church down through the centuries of receiving communion and being changed and transformed by the presence of Jesus. We have our own experience standing at the table, kneeling at the, uh, at the altar rail, receiving the sacrament, and knowing that our lives are changed by eating and drinking in this holy mystery. But our reason struggles to explain how it's possible, how Jesus is here with us. And that's true also for the resurrection we can understand it through scripture and tradition and experience. We know that it is true because the Bible tells us so. The tradition of the church proclaims it. Our experience tells us that Jesus is here. But our reason evades us. And it is then, it is then the scripture says that we are called to believe. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs 
in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, and that's the Gospel of John that he's writing about, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name that you may come to believe. That's the purpose of the gospel. That's the purpose of our Christian life. That's the purpose of the proclamation that we make of the resurrection of Jesus, the proclamation that we make of his teaching, his preaching, his communion, the proclamation that we make about his love. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. We make this proclamation. Why? So that you may come to believe, may come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one of God, as the Son of God, God's presence in this broken and hurting world. We make this proclamation. The Gospel of John was written so that we may come to faith in him. My brothers and sisters, we have every reason to believe. We have the scripture, we have tradition, we have experience, and we have reason. For we know that in Jesus, God came into this world so that we might not be alone, but might, might know the loving presence of God and that this world might be changed, might be transformed, might be transfigured into the glory that God has for us all. The affirmation and proclamation of Easter and the season, the Sundays of Easter, is that God is with us. In Jesus Christ, God is with us. We are not alone. I know that many of you right now are sitting in a room totally alone. My mother's sitting in front of a computer in her sewing room, work room, dad's old office at home, watching this right now. Mom, you are not alone. God is with you. I know some of you are alone right now in a home watching this broadcast. You are not alone. God is with you. Christ Jesus our Lord is with you and within you. And because of this affirmation and because of faith, we may have life in him. These are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. We serve the Lord of life, the God of love, the Lord of this amazing universe. We serve this Lord and Savior, Jesus, and we have life in his name. Take solace in that, take comfort in that, take comfort in the experience of Jesus and know that he is with you. I want to pray for you now.
I want to end this sermon not just with the affirmation of the Trinity, but I want to pray for you now. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for for coming into this life with us, for teaching us the love of God manifested in your life. Thank you for teaching us and for healing us and for being with us. Thank you for standing up for us. And even though we fail you, thank you for embracing us and forgiving us. Thank you for becoming an intercessor, the eternal intercessor with God the Father for us. Thank you for being a ransom for us. Thank you for taking away our sins. Thank you for giving us eternal life. In moments when we feel alone, remind us that we are not alone. When we feel lost, remind us that we are not lost. When we don't know where we're going, lead us on the way you would have us to go. And in these days of this pandemic, remind us that no matter where we are, if we're well at home or sick at home or in a hospital, it matters not. You are with us. Remind us and give us the experience that these disciples had, that Thomas had. Pierce the fog of doubt and give us your peace. You said to the disciples when you enter the room, peace be with you. And you do give us your peace. Fill us with your love and peace, with the experience of your presence. In your holy name we pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Your prayer.